0: The Crude Life with host Jason Speece.
1: to The Crude Life Week in Review. My name is Jason Spies. I'm your host. Thank you, folks, for joining us at a place where we like to bring you the best interviews of the week, which are available at thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. Coming up on today's program, we've got a fantastic one in store for you today. Let's go down the rundown. Thomas Funderburk with Lone Star Geoservices explains how the highly touted economic injury disaster loan and loan advanced was not exactly what the political leaders are disclosing it to be. Spoiler alert, he didn't receive any money, but a lot of other people did in order to park their planes and keep their Airbnbs vacant. Thomas Funderburg with Lone Star Geoservices explains how he's a small business owner, family man, three kids. He got left out in the cold. Also, James Coleman, he's with the Southern Methodist University Dedman School of Law, gives an update from the Texas Railroad Commission's meeting and how the bigger picture plays into it with OPEC. And remember, folks, there was a time when the Texas Railroad Commission was about as powerful, if not more powerful, than OPEC. So it was kind of a revisit to that time and whether they should cut back production and do some things, which is going to have major impact. Of course, in the Bakken, they already are cutting back production. But in the Texas Railroad Commission, they're talking about regulating the production cuts as opposed to the market taking control. So interesting conversation. James Coleman, associate professor at Southern Methodist University Dedman School of Law. And of course, we need to mention Aaron Jordan, the president of Blackwater Environmental, joins us at the tail end of the program. Spoke to Mr. Jordan before the interview, and business is booming in Wyoming. They are busy, so he's going to join us to talk about where they're finding some business. Also asked if his outside salesman would join us as well, Mr. Dave Chapit, and ask him, hey, outside sales guy, what's it like in the COVID-19 shutdown? Last week, I interviewed a guy. He showed up. They had a... Piece of paper on the door that said the offices are now closed. He did the meeting through glass on his cell phone while they looked at each other, kind of like the old prison movies, how that happens. So interesting times we're living in, folks. Let's get to our first interview here on the Crude Life Week in Review. My name is Jason Spees. Coming up here, we have Thomas Funderburk with Lone Star Geoservices.
2: My name is uh, Thomas Funderburk, and I'm the owner of Lone Star Geoservices. Services.
1: Lone Star Geo Services. All right, Thomas Funderburk. Before we get into a little bit of the meat of the topic, which is this, this, this COVID nineteen emergency disaster loan and the kerfuffle that's ensuing. Lone Star Geo Services. Boy, I, let, let me take a guess. Lone Star's Texas and Geo Services. It's probably not the car. It's more of probably some geo. <laughs> Yeah, so let's let's give your business a plug if you wouldn't mind. First of all, uh, h- how you doing down there? And uh, let's explain what you do for the oil and gas industry. Well,
2: um, I'm a, I'm a geologist uh, by trade. Um, I started my business uh, really out of necessity, just to, as a consulting geologist to do uh, try to fill any need that any any oil and gas company operator. Third service party, whoever, you know, whatever service they would need for me to fill in geo steering, if they want me to go mud log, you know, I, I'm trying to fill in whatever whatever niche that I can, um, you know, just trying to make a name for myself starting out um, doing this as a independent contractor.
1: Sure, and. Now, my understanding is that you're a you're an independent contractor. You don't have any employees. If you do need an employee, it's a, it's an independent contract basis, so you don't have anybody on staff. Is that correct? That's right. So that's a pretty common thing in the oil and gas industry, by the way, is is less than five employees, which in a lot of cases zero employees and a bunch of ten ninety nine contractors. So your right. your situation is very common, and I'm going to just preface something very quickly with. One of the issues that's going on right now outside of the COVID-19 shutdown, which is the oil and gas industry experienced a little bit of a price decline before the start of the year. Whiting Petroleum announced one-third of its staff would be laid off last July 2019. November 2019, Whiting Petroleum announced that they were $1.2 billion in debt is what I believe it was. And either way, point is is that whiting has been really kind of the poster child of what's been going on so i do apologize to all the whiting people out there but hey public company that's part of part of what's going on you are the poster child to say that some of the issues were happening ahead of time now slow pay is a common thing in the oil and gas industry where sometimes multi-million dollar companies just don't pay you for a while until they get their stuff righted and their ship's serviced and right or wrong that's just the way it is so there's a lot of different obstacles right now for the oil and gas industry so when this COVID-19 disaster bailout came along I don't know about you Thomas Thomas but there was a lot of Thomas Funderburg sorry I was (laughs) I got so caught up on your last name uh, Mr. (laughs) Funderburg that um, here I feel like I know you so well I call you Thomas that you know, I, I yeah,
2: you can go ahead and call me Thomas. Yeah, yeah
1: I, I felt that there was actually people who called me and said, "Jason, this is going to save my business." Like, yeah, I've got receivables that multi 1000000 oil companies owe me, and they're not paying me. And so, if I can get a three-month bridge or a two-month bridge, and the ten thousand dollars, you know, type of a thing that's going to carry me through till June July type of it and then to get the kick in the pants of 1000 bucks and you got to apply for a loan on top of that that's just that that really smarted so i'm glad that you responded and that you um, are able to talk about this just talk to me a little bit about is that the similar situation that you went down just explain how you got to where you're at to where this they did you know kind of switch the, the the game on you a little bit like they did on others.
2: Oh yeah, um, well, I mean I, I, I heard all the news that was being plastered everywhere about all this um, recovery relief you know coming and, and uh, you know that was kind of a bit of exciting news. you know It's it was, it was definitely a lot of good news because yeah, I have a lot of invoices that I'm waiting on to, to get paid from some of these uh, independent oil and gas companies. And, um, so yeah, I have a lot of money tied up right now. I'm not getting paid anything. Um, and so seeing this, this would have been like a really big boost and relief, uh, for at least a, a, you know, a couple months, uh, would have given me a little bit of a buffer or a boost. Um, but then really it was, it was, it was your post, like I said, that maybe go investigate this. And lo and behold, I see this, that, that email sent in my inbox from SBA um, saying that, you know, they're going to give $1,000 per employee um, that your company had prior to January 31st of this year, I think it was. Um, and that just kind of took the wind out of the sails. I'm like, really? And, and, and I, I think uh, you said it best. It, it was just like a bait and switch kind of kind of feeling.
1: And that was Thomas Funderburk with Lone Star Geoservices. To listen to the full-length interview or to check out other exclusive interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. Coming up next, James Coleman, associate professor at Southern Methodist University Dedman School of Law, talking about the recent Texas Railroad Commission and what it means on the rest of the oil and gas industry. My name is Jason Speece. This is The Crude
0: Life Week in Review. The crude life is sponsored in part by, historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years, innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever, the model for future shale basin projects, groundbreaking, the Davis Refinery
1: make energy great again yes that is the hat for the energy industry folks wear it proudly show your support for the nation's energy industry with this attention-grabbing fashion declaration visit keepenergygreat.com that's keepenergygreat.com
0: the crude life with host jason Speece. Welcome
1: back to the Crude Life Week in Review. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for joining us. Coming up next, James Coleman, associate professor with Southern Methodist University Dedman School of Law, commenting on the historic Texas Railroad Commission meeting.
3: I'm James Coleman, and I'm an associate professor at SMU Dedman School of Law in Dallas, Texas.
1: Appreciate you joining the program here today. Uh, There's a lot going on, especially what happened over the weekend and the week before when we're talking about OPEC and opec plus and the new opec plus plus Plus. and then we had this meeting happen in texas on tuesday which is today when we're doing this interview and lo and behold i'm getting my my social media is blowing up because this meeting this this huge long day-long meeting i don't know if it's going to spill into another day or not it's going on in fact it's so hot that James Coleman, his story on Fox Business is white hot right now because it's right in the center of what's cooking. And so we thought we'd bring James Coleman on from SMU, but also a contributor for Fox Business. And we're going to have that link at our website as well with the story. Uh, James Coleman, how are you doing today?
3: Doing well. Hanging in there.
1: Well, I appreciate you joining the program here for this white hot information. I love it when something's hot off the press, but this is so hot it's in the middle because... As uh, you you mentioned before we started the interview, these meetings are still going on in Texas, aren't they?
3: Well, that's right. They started at 930 this morning. And after, there's 55 uh, very prominent members of the oil and gas industry uh, that that are planning, are scheduled to speak. And I looked down during the third speaker, and we'd already gone through two hours. So that meeting is still going on, and who knows how long it will continue.
1: So let's talk about your Fox Business article here real quick about, you know, what's going on with the COVID-19. We got the global uh, uh, coronavirus pandemic and the shutdown happening, but there, there were some other things that happened as well in terms of uh, the Saudi Arabia, Russia, OPEC, but even going into last year. There was, you know, Whiting Petroleum, who's kind of the poster child for a lot of things right now. You know, they laid off people last July, and then we had some November, some debt uh, happen as well. But so the, the industry's had, you know, some some issues and things like that. But today, it sounds like there's kind of a, I don't know, almost like a game-changing announcement to quote the article. I just, I almost said game-changer, and I pulled back, but then I looked, and I saw it, It's in your article, and I thought, <laughs> nope, I'm going to quote it, so... Uh, there was kind of a game-changing announcement today that, at least, it sounds like it's coming out of Texas or uh, the news combining, if you will. Talk to me a little bit about this.
3: Yeah, absolutely. So the uh, what's happened is that we're emerging from the biggest oil and gas boom that the world has ever seen. It is, you know, an order of magnitude bigger than any oil and gas boom that's ever happened in history before, uh, and so it's brought the US to an unprecedented level of oil and gas production. The problem is that just as we've been producing more oil and gas, we have uh, at the same time had this destruction in demand for oil and gas. That's a result of this global pandemic, which means that nobody can travel, nobody can work, everybody's got to, you know, do their best to social distance or stay home. And that means that we're consuming less oil and gas. And that's led to a catastrophic, Drop in oil prices. In fact, oil prices have dropped so far that in some places, briefly, they've been at negative prices. You had to pay somebody to take that oil away. So that's a very, uh, that's a very dramatic problem for, for producers in North Dakota and in Texas. And what's happening? Um, So the way the world has responded is a couple things. One is that uh, some of the major oil producers in Russia and Saudi Arabia and the other members of OPEC have agreed to cut their production back about 20 percent to deal with this fall in demand. There's a continuing question about whether the U.S. will join them and cut back production. It undoubtedly will cut its production uh, to a certain extent as a result of market forces. That is, people will stop drilling. They will shut in some wells, and there'll be a fall in production. But the question is whether the state should go further in actually mandating some cuts to production, as they have done in Saudi Arabia, Russia. And also, actually, I should note they've done that in Alberta, just across the border in Canada. So you might wonder, well, why would any state cut its own oil production? That seems like an odd thing to do. But, you know, this is a request to cut production that was brought by producers in Texas. So there are um, these ongoing hearings in Texas about whether they should cut production. Nothing's been decided yet. There's a three commissioners asking questions and taking information, but they're hearing from oil and gas companies on both sides of the issues. Some of them saying, you need to order cuts to production so that we can all have a little bit higher prices, and other ones saying, no, let the market work it out. Yes, some of us are going to go bankrupt. Yes, we'll buy some other, you know, we'll have to, some of those bankrupt companies will have to be bought out, but we should just let, um, this is going to be hard, but we should let the market take care of it. And that's the huge debate that's happening in Texas right now. It's very controversial within the oil industry and between those, uh, between those oil and gas companies.
1: I was going to ask if this was an unpopular topic down in Texas right now, and you just said it was controversial so that answers that question um what is the vibe right now in terms of some of the things that are happening there's there's production cuts i mean before we got on to this interview i read continental is is doing some cuts and that sort of thing um but at the same time i'm reading that you know business is going to bounce back sooner than ever if you will um what 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 is the end result supposed to be with this Texas meeting, if you will? Because I was kind of reading some of the things going into it, and I know we're only halfway through on the day, and, so, and, and we'll get back to um, some of your research here in a second, but I just kind of wanted to see more about the vibe and just some of the things that are happening with what's kind of, um, I guess w- the controversy, obviously you have two sides. And the one side doesn't want production cuts, and the other side does. And I'm trying to figure out the what the end goal is supposed to be at the end of the day in Texas. I'm not sure if I, I even know how to ask the question. No, that's a, that's a great
3: question. I mean, because you might think, okay, so so let's 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 uh, you know start with what's puzzling, right? Everybody understands why an industry would say, "Don't cut my production." You know, normally, no producer wants the state to come in and cut its production. And you know, furthermore, most usually a producer prefers the free market doesn't want to invite the government to step in and start regulating the level of the production. Right. So that, that, so what we have to explain is why producers would like the government to step in and reduce production.
1: Well, I, I guess I kind of got caught up for just a second because like, you know, right away people think of New York, Colorado, California. Yeah. Right. And you know, and when we're talking about Texas, it it you can't make that comparison because the average Texan that that doesn't compute at all like that one. You, I mean, a, a reflex of a backhand is more. Common. Sounds like socialism. Uh, right. Totally, totally. And so, yeah, that's yeah. why I'm trying to I'm trying to ask the question, like, how is this possible? Because <laughs> at the same time, I don't I don't think that is what the intention is. Do you know what I mean by that? Where it's. it's yeah. Yeah. That, that's going to that, be the low hanging fruit as far as well, the perception well, goes.
3: Well, let me let me say a couple of things about that. One is that until for the you know in the days of dominance of the American oil industry, which was basically from the 1901 to about 1970, really for sure ends 1972. In that time period, Texas always controlled production. It always set limits for its producers. So the kind of regulatory scheme that made Texas The center of world oil markets was about controlling production. Yes, it was a free market. Everybody got to find their own land, drill their own wells, develop their own technology. But it was done within an overall scheme that said, we're not going to have too much production overall, because if we do, we're going to waste a lot of resources that are going to be worth more money in the future. And so that kind of careful planning helped the free market develop in a way that made the U.S., the world's premier energy superpower. Okay, now, for the first time in half a century, the U.S. is again the world's premier energy superpower. And the question is, should we rediscover some of those tools that we used before that uh, helped us manage that oil and gas well?
1: Mr. James Coleman going to ask you to hold that thought for just a moment or two. We're going to take a brief pause and we come back we'll continue the conversation with James Coleman, Associate Professor at Southern Methodist University Dedman School of Law. My name is Jason Spies. This is the Crude Life Week can Review.
0: The Crude Life is sponsored in part by Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking. The Davis Refinery.
1: Make energy great again. Yes, that is the hat for the energy industry, folks. Wear it proudly. Show your support for the nation's energy industry with this attention-grabbing fashion declaration. Visit KeepEnergyGreat.com. That's KeepEnergyGreat.com. It seems everywhere I go these days, someone is telling me about the success of Hatch Coaching. Listen to what professional speaker Mark J. Lindquist has to say.
0: To see Eric Hatch grow his business and then start to share it with other people, I think is one of those great steps in life, you know? What do you do in society? You succeed at a thing, and then you teach other people how you did it. And now to see Eric duplicating his genius across the country, I'm telling you, There's a world changer down the street, and his name is Eric Hatch.
1: For more information, call 701-212-1572 or visit coachingwithhatch.com. That's coachingwithhatch.com.
0: Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken.
1: I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts. Welcome back to the Crude Life Week in Review. My name is Jason Spees. Thank you, folks, for joining us. Coming up next, we continue the conversation with James Coleman, associate professor at Southern Methodist University,
0: Dedman School of Law.
3: And so I think, you know, although it does sound, you know what, I would say that Texans, you know, Texans love the free market, but you know what Texans love even better than the free market? Something that works. Texans are not ideologues, right? They don't say, hey, you know, this is, we need to, um, you know, do have one approach no matter no matter what happens. They're looking for something that works for consumers, for the economy, uh, for producers, et cetera. And so the argument from um, the uh, people in this hearing supporting cuts is that this is something that will work to help ensure that our free market oil and gas system isn't destroyed but continues to bring Texans prosperity. And so let me explain the theory of how that works. I'll try to explain some of the downsides as well um, when I do that. Uh, So... So the theory is that uh, is a couple things. One is if you have market power, that means you're so dominant within a specific market that you can when you cut back production, prices rise enough that you actually make more money. Now, Texas doesn't have market power within the global oil economy because to let's first approximation, then I'll complicate this, but to a first approximation The world is one oil market. There's 100 million barrels a day. If Texas, which produces five or six million barrels a day, cuts back its production, yeah, that raises prices in the world a little bit. But because Texas is selling less, it's going to make less money. On the other hand, if you get all of OPEC together, which is 30% of production, and all of Russia, which is 12% of production, and all of the U.S., which is 19% of production, that's 61% of the market. If they all cut back production at the same time, what's going to happen is oil prices will rise so much that they are going to all everybody will make more money, all the oil and gas companies. So part of what's happening here is that on Sunday, Saudi Arabia, OPEC and Russia announced that they were cutting back production 20 percent. So part of what the drama here is. Is Texas and the U.S. going to respond with its own cutbacks? And that's a little bit different because here it's not controlled by the federal government; it's controlled by the states. And that's kind of what Saudi Arabia and Russia are waiting to see. So, one question is: Does Texas want to show, "Hey, we're cooperating too. We're doing our best to restrain. Maybe you should cut back production even more to help us all out, right?" There's a cooperation. Uh, there's a cooperation game that's happening in a more immediate way. Texas might want to cut back production in certain fields where there's a lot of flaring. So, you know, even um, so even though it's typically, you know, global, we have an increasingly global natural gas market. We have a global oil market. There can be big differentials between the price of oil in Midland and the price of oil in the Gulf Coast. Sometimes it was, you know, $20 a barrel in past years. Right. There can be big differences, obviously, in gas prices. So, you know, we have low gas prices at the Henry Hub, kind sort of what we consider natural gas or national natural gas prices in Louisiana, but they are way lower in West Texas. In fact, at a lot of wells, it's zero or even negative pricing, even at the Waha Hub. So, even if you invested all the money in building gathering lines to take that natural gas to their local market the Waha hub, you have to pay somebody to take your gas away. So there's so what happens when you have those differentials is that the regulator has market power within those markets. So if tomorrow the Texas regulatory uh the Texas Railroad Commission stepped in and said, hey everybody cut back natural gas production 10% in West Texas. All of those oil and gas companies first of all, flaring would drop very low almost overnight. People would do do it as much as they needed to for safety. But all of the economic-driven flaring would go away. Second, what would happen is all of a sudden producers would be being paid money for their natural gas. So natural gas would go from a net negative on their balance sheet to a net positive. And so that's what market power means, that sometimes the regulator can step in and reduce production to increase profits for
1: the industry. A lot of what we're talking about here... I can't, it, it just, it seems like it has a lot of themes of things that used to be illegal in the 70s and 80s called price fixing and price manipulation. <laughs> yeah. And, and you got to tell me I'm wrong here because, again, I don't know much about that. It, it just seems like these are a lot of the themes about when I read about the concrete companies and the, and the, you know, the big road companies that would get together at cafes and price fix and the, the, st- <laughs> the silver industry and that kind of thing. This just kind of yeah. seems like a lot of the the topics that were there, and they're just openly doing it. So, uh, help me out, man. <laughs>
3: <Okay>. <laughs> right, exactly. Well, that is a that's a great question. Let me so let me tell you the answer. Um, the answer is that the government can do price fixing the government (laughs) can can there's no there's no antitrust liability if the government made you do it and so yeah i think that's a lot of big puzzle people say they say well why if these oil and gas companies want to produce less why don't they just produce less and the answer is it doesn't help them if just one company does it they all have to do it at the same time and so then people say well why don't they just agree to all do it Well, if they all agreed to cut back production, they would all go to jail and they would all be liable for billions of dollars because that's what our antitrust laws do is they say you can't agree to reduce production. That's what we're worried about with price fixing. But if the government orders you to reduce production, you absolutely can. And there's no absolutely zero liability. So that's a that's the really interesting. um, So that's why they're going to the government and asking. Uh, And asking for these reductions now before we have these antitrust laws people like standard oil right Rockefeller did exactly that but now you can't do that as a private company. It has to be done through the government. Now you might wonder well why does the government want higher oil and gas prices. Well you know absolutely you don't want high higher oil and gas prices if you're Governor Cuomo in New York or if you are you know in Chicago. But if you are in a major oil and gas producer like North Dakota or Texas. Yeah absolutely. You want higher oil and gas prices now they're probably not going to do price fixing to an extent that will get them in a lot of trouble with the federal government in fact usually this works best if the federal government Talks to the states, talks to the industrial commission in North Dakota, talks to the railroad commission in Texas, talks to the corporation commission in Oklahoma and says, Hey, everybody, here's how much we want you to all cut back. Um, but it so it usually works best if it's done with the federal government. And the federal government's not going to want, you know, it's kind of extreme price fixing that might hurt consumers.
1: I kind of was thinking to myself, and actually, what I wrote down in my notes was the enemy of my friend, my enemy is my friend and frenemy because. I think the the Railroad Commission actually oversees the fact that they want to ensure there is no price fixing. So I, that's why I think is really funny is that the Railroad Commission, their job is to make sure there is no price fixing, and now they're being used for it. So you just,
3: well, can't right?
1: Make
3: it up. It's it's true. <laughs> Although, but keep in mind the reason the Railroad Commission, I think, if you look at economic history, is the most important regulator in the history of the world because of how it managed Texas oil and gas markets in that period around World War II, from 1934 until really the 1960s and a little bit until 1972. And so in that period, Texas Railroad Commission was OPEC, and it determined whether the world, you know, if it raised oil prices, cut production to raise oil prices, it could send the whole world into an economic tailspin. And if it opened up the taps a little bit, that meant there was an economic boom. And so the Railroad Commission you know, although it does have, a, it does, it's supposed to prevent the industry from coming together by itself and fixing prices, it has always, its central role has been to raise oil and gas prices to ensure that Texans, Texan workers, Texan landowners, Texan industry, Texan investors got good money for their oil and gas.
1: And let's not forget that it is the Railroad Commission, which at the end of the day, um, their job is to keep the trains moving on time, right? And, yeah, and that's what, that's whether right. that's the actual trains or whether it's the oil and gas or the economy, um, you know, it's, it's really it's, it's symbolic, in my opinion, of really the, the, the big the big industries that are the engine of the economy. That's how I kind of look at it symbolically um, with the Railroad Commission, because it is kind of funny when you think about the Railroad Commission overseeing oil and gas.
3: Well, oh, no, it is—it's—it's it's hilarious. I think to me that you know history's most important economic regulator is called the Railroad Commission. It's important to me. It's—it's it's hilarious to me that the biggest oil and gas or the most important oil and gas regulator in the world is called the Railroad Commission. Uh, basically, what happened is that you know oil and gas, especially, or sorry, particularly oil during the Rockefeller era, was moved on uh, pipelines or railroads, mm-hmm. and so and so basically that when you know the um, the legislature said oh, well, you regulate uh, railroads, you should regulate pipelines as well. And then once they started regulating pipelines, they said, well, if you regulate pipelines, if we need to regulate overall production, seems like you should be in charge of it as well. But it's funny that yeah, the Railroad Commission spends all of its time on oil and gas, and it's you know universally recognized as probably the world's you know, premier experts on oil and gas production, and yet they have a, a name that makes you think that they regulate trains.
1: To listen to the full-length interview with James Coleman, Associate Professor at the Southern Methodist University Dedman School of Law, or to check out other exclusive interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. Coming up next, Aaron Jordan, President of Blackwater Environmental. My name is Jason Speece. This is The Crude Life Week in Review. All I can
2: say is that you try to behave and try not to get your mind blown. Mind blown, you mind blown. I'll show you something that's never been shown. Mind blown, your
1: mind blown. And that's all you need to
0: the know. The Crude Life is sponsored in part by...
1: Make energy great again. Yes, that is the hat for the energy industry, folks. Wear it proudly. Show your support for the nation's energy industry with this attention-grabbing fashion declaration. Visit KeepEnergyGreat.com. That's KeepEnergyGreat.com.
0: Historic. The first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative. The cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking. The Davis Refinery. Jason Spees, the most trusted voice in the Bakken.
1: I totally agree with you and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts. Welcome back to the Crude Life Week in Review. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for joining us. Coming up next, we've got David Chapit and Aaron Jordan with Blackwater Environmental.
4: Aaron Jordan, Blackwater Environmental. David Chapit, Blackwater Environmental.
1: Excellent. Thank you, gentlemen, for joining me here today. Now, I believe you guys are based in Gillette, Wyoming, if my memory serves me correctly. And Gillette, last time I spoke to some people last week, they didn't have any coronavirus deaths as of yet, and so whether it's good hygiene in Wyoming or it hasn't reached there yet, that's debatable. I'm not going to get into that debate today, but what I am going to get into is that companies are still taking precautions, and some people are still going out there. In fact, I talked to uh, Williams Insulation Company, WIC, last week, and they've been busier since this whole corona-COVID 19 thing happened and so i thought i'd check in with another wyoming company out there and we've got aaron jordan president of blackwater environmental how are you doing today
0: good how are you doing
1: hey not too bad dave we'll get to you in a minute or two here but first i wanted to talk to aaron and find out uh, how things are going there at uh, blackwater and in, in terms of blackwater environmental excuse me don't want to short change the name on you there uh, Blackwater Environmental, and you know, how are things going there? Do you guys have you know kind of an office environment? Are people working from home? Are people checking in? Are you sanitizing? You know, the the doorknobs. I don't know. Just thought I'd check in to see what people are doing down the, these days.
4: Yeah, um, most of our office staff, the girls have been working from home. Uh, me and Dave have been in the office the last couple of weeks. No big deal. Um, pretty easy pretty easy to have the girls work from home because all their stuff's on their computers everything we've got is you know pretty mobile these days so um even dave here he works remotely most of the time so it's been pretty easy the office cleaning girls has come in like normal and just clean the office and i mean you do what you can i guess wash your hands is the biggest thing i what i'm getting
1: out of it that was the one thing i noticed too a lot of a lot of the occupations just kind of naturally transitioned into what they were you know if you worked in a cube or an office type of a a desk job it was very easy to transition to your home office the outside salespeople and dave this might be where you come in i of course aaron if, if you go on outside sales calls as well but uh, Dave, you know, some of these outside sales calls, you know, you can show up to a meeting and all of a sudden that day they put up a sign, sorry, no meetings today. And you might have to figure out a, a way to get inventive in order to get some outside sales calls happening these days. But how's the world of sales treating you? Uh, it's, I, I haven't been here for, with this company for that long. It's Mostly we're just
4: trying to stay over the phone. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of uh, things on hold just because of nobody knows what's going to be happening in the next week or two. But it's, it's still moving ahead. I mean, I, I'm not going to say it's better or worse than it was before. It's just different. You know, there's a lot less of uh, meeting for lunch or, you know, taking a client to dinner type of thing. There's a lot more of we'll Skype or Zoom you for an afternoon and find out what's going to happen. And, you know, everybody up here still seems real positive about things are still going. They're just, we can't do it this week. Let's talk again next week.
1: So you're seeing a lot okay. more of the, you know, the yeah, different. It's just a lot different. yeah, a lot of the outside traditional sales lunches and dinners and that sort of stuff have been yep. replaced for the Zoom meeting and everything else. huh? Hmm. Uh, Aaron, talk to me about about your your role a little bit, you know, as far as what you're doing there in terms of you guys have had some business and, and you guys have had to, you know, stay busy at the same time transition through some of this.
4: Yeah, you know, we. this is usually one of our busiest times of the year, and I'm not going to say it's not busy. Um, we had some major turnarounds at some facilities hold off till the fall of this year and possibly the spring of next year. So a lot of our bigger jobs have been pushed back, but, you know, we, we usually amp up this time of year, hire some more staff, and we kind of shied away from that, and we showed it up because I – I had to jump in a hole the other day and sandblast for about five and a half hours, so um, we probably should have went ahead and hired, and we still might the way things are looking. Um, well, you know, I, I kind of got nervous for a minute and didn't hire some of our seasonal guys, some of our summer guys, and it might have been a mistake now that we're looking at it. You know, we were having a talk this morning about it that, jeez, we should have just hired them guys because it got – kind of busy there because they weren't, some of these facilities weren't able to bring in as many contractors as they would have liked for some of this work because of, you know, travel bans and things like that. So they kind of leaned on us local contractors just to hump up and get it done. And that's basically what happened. So, um, you know, hindsight's 2020. 20, so one way we should have hired some guys and the other way it really made us, yeah, down, it made us more profitable because we had less guys. It made us really look at the guys we had going, geez, you know, we've got the crews to do this. So it's, you know, it's, it's hand in hand. You think you need more guys, and then all of a sudden you're doing the work with the guys you got and go, geez, we, we can go ahead and do this, you know? So hard to say.
1: Yeah. It was going
4: to get really slow, and then it stayed, stayed the way it was for us.
1: And I was going to mention too. You've you know you mentioned sandblasting. Uh, is that where you're seeing most of your your uh, increase in your in your business coming from, or is there other areas that you're? Is it the painting the spray liner type of a thing, or?
4: Yeah, it's it's everything. I mean, we had to add a back truck this week to the to our fleet because uh, one of our customers said we need to have a back truck on site. So we we added another truck to the fleet. Just because we were asked to, because they had to work for it. So, um, we're basically s- spread out on all of our services right now. Sandblasting a lot of it because we do a lot of uh, sandblast cleaning for facilities. And then, you know, once you sandblast, more than likely you're going to paint. So, we've been doing a lot of that and a lot of cleaning and a lot of upkeep and maintenance issues, you know, things like that. So, I would say it's been, across the board, busy for all of our services.
1: And that's going to do it for the Crude Life Week in Review. I'd like to thank Aaron Jordan and Dave Chapit for coming on today's program with Blackwater Environmental. Those full-length interviews, by the way, are available at crudelife.com Also, thank you to James Coleman, Associate Professor of the Southern Methodist University Dedman School of Law, coming on and talking about the historic Texas Railroad Commission meeting that's going to have impact across the entire oil and gas industry and thank you thomas funderberg for coming on and sharing your emotional story about being left out in the cold not getting any of the cares act despite being one of the first ones to apply for it never got a dime well other people got chosen so their private planes and their airbnb properties and their lake homes could sit empty because they know how to work it so the business takes care of it as an expense unbelievable, folks, what is going on out there. All right, from the staff here at the Food Life Week in Review, my name is Jason I ask you to always remember, energy is more than an industry, it's a way of life.
0: Crude Life is sponsored in part by Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking, the Davis Refinery.
1: Make energy great again. Yes, that is the hat for the energy industry, folks. Wear it proudly. Show your support for the nation's energy industry with this attention-grabbing fashion declaration. Visit KeepEnergyGreat.com. That's KeepEnergyGreat.com.
0: Jason Speece, the most trusted voice in the Bakken.
1: I totally agree with you. And the word that you brought into this is fact